This is Get a Real Job, the podcast devoted to people who choose risk over safe bets, who pursue their passion against all odds and are doing what they want, how they want, despite people and sometimes the voices in their own heads telling them they're nuts. When the field that I wanted to work in didn't exist, I created it. The only thing you have to decide is how hard you want to work. I really never went into the design of the restaurant of not succeeding. One way or another, I was going to succeed. I'm your host, Dan Bova, editorial director of entrepreneur.com. Thanks for listening. And now, get a real job. Well, today's guest is a disgusting human being. Now, don't get me wrong. He is a kind and charitable man. But on any given day, he is elbow deep in a barnyard animal or up to his ankles in human feces. Welcome back to the show, the lovely and talented and sometimes fragrant Mike Rowe. Mike, how are you? Well, better now that I've finally heard a truthful introduction. Thank you. <laughs> I'm good. Mike, this is the second time on the show. I know I know that must just be blowing your mind that we had you back, but we are very excited to have you back. Well, I'm all about number two, Dan, so let's, <laughs> let's make it a winner. You know, Mike <laughs> promised me he was going to bring his A game, and I think we're done. I think we should just stop right there. <laughs> well, Mike, as all of you know, is the host and executive producer of Dirty Jobs, which returns Sunday, January 2nd at 8 p.m., and depending on when this podcast actually comes out, that was a week ago or in a week from now. So be on the lookout for it, 8 p.m. on the Discovery Channel. Uh, so how did it go? Are you are you clean enough yet? Did you, does that smell ever come off? You know, it's funny. We got through the worst of it as far as smell goes in the first couple seasons. I had a list of particularly disgusting adventures I was determined to embark upon, and uh, we checked all the boxes. And then, and then the show kind of morphed from exploding toilets and misadventures and animal husbandry into uh, more of a crucible of, of pain uh -huh. um, and, and, and daring do. You know, we, we were in some very high places and some very low places and some very physical tasks. And, um, and that kind of was the, uh, the groove into which we settled. And we wrapped things up late in 2012. And I swore I would never do this again because, like you, I'm older than I've ever been. But um, <laughs> here we are nearly 10 years later. I'm still more or less the same. The show hasn't changed. But the country's in a different spot. Right. And it just seemed like this would be a good time to revisit the notion of essential work and to get out there in the midst of the lockdowns and the plague, which is what we did. I mean, it, it actually, it seemed like a perfect time to shoot a show called Dirty Jobs. Right, yeah. And so we did, yeah. So can you um, pull back the curtain, as it were? You you know, how does this show happen? You know, we, in our minds, you just pop into a town and find someone with a gross or really hard job, and there it goes. But how do you, how do you find these people um, and... Second question, uh, have you ever found someone and showed up and then said, uh, no, I'm not doing that? <laughs> uh, in reverse order, no, uh, that's never happened, surprisingly. I have shown up and, and found people who didn't quite expect the experience to be what it is. You know, we don't, we don't have scripts 
on this show. Right. It's a truly unscripted show. There's no, there's no real pre-production. There's no real, uh, well, there's certainly no acting. Uh, and there's really no second takes. So people who have it in their minds that they're going to be in a TV show are sometimes surprised because we don't really shoot it like a TV show. Okay. We shoot it like, like, like if your family was going on a, a horrible vacation and, <laughs> you know, your oldest son was given a, a camcorder and said, film everything. Yeah. That's, that's what the show is. It's, it's more of a mission and less of a program. Right. And, you know, for that reason, uh, people are sometimes surprised because people are pretty savvy today. You know, they, they've seen TV getting made and they have a pretty good sense of how they think they're supposed to behave on a TV show. And that, uh, some shrink has a word for it. I think it's the, uh, the uncertainty principle, right? The act okay. of observing a thing changes a thing. Right, right. I mean, right? I, so say, comes, I say right, right, like I know what that is. Like, but, like you know, but oh, you of don't. Course. Yeah. Yeah. No, believe me, I understand that move too, Dan. Uh, <laughs> creating the illusion of confidence. Um, but no, we don't, it's a, as shows go, with the possible exception of the gong show, it's the simplest format in the history of, of the medium. As far as production goes, the people we find, well, I started looking for the jobs I wanted to profile, but once those were exhausted, we turned everything over to the viewer, every suggestion, every tip, every everything comes from the fans of the show. Mm. And um, that's the other thing that makes it weirdly connected. You know, the fans yeah. have always been a, a very loyal bunch. And for that reason, the fans host it, the fans program it. Fans watch it, and uh, we just try and stay out of the way. Um, that that's amazing. Uh, I, I it, it's cool that that I know you know when we watch the show they say, hey, do you know of a thing? But uh, let us know. But that you're actually uh, listening to Curious. that. That's pretty cool. No, no, we're, we're <laughs> look. I mean, full disclosure. You know, when you run out of ideas, you can either admit it or pretend you haven't. And in my experience, uh, there's no real upside in pretending right, you have right, an idea right. when you don't. Best just to admit it. So, so as you said, you know these jobs are dirty and they're dangerous and they're sometimes pretty gross. But you know these people providing an indispensable service to humanity. But having said that, uh, have you ever finished a segment and you know turned to the guy whose job it is to do this all day and just said, "There has." got to be a better way to make money. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. You know, I mean, I, it, I've said that a lot, actually, but but usually in reference to the conspicuous absence of a necessary tool or uh, in reference to the fact that we're in 30 degree below temperatures uh -huh. or 120 degrees. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's usually a bitch about the circumstances or the conditions, not about the actual job and certainly not about the person doing it. You know, yeah. Dirty Jobs is a lighthearted show, but if there's a, if there's a punchline, you know, the joke's on me. Right, right. Right. So yeah, there've been plenty of times when I've given the camera a look and just given my head a long, slow shake and the viewer knows what I'm talking about, <laughs> but right, right. that all goes, that all goes to the degree of difficulty, yeah, you know, and yeah. it's a, it's a hard thing. You know, when you shoot an honest show, you don't want to overstate things. Yeah. And so if, if you want to really illustrate the difficulty of erecting a 3,300-foot radio tower, well, you have to actually do it. 
you know, and you have to let the viewer see you struggle. And it's in that struggle that the tribute is ultimately paid. Um, you know, just in terms of you being on camera, like you're, you, you do have an amazing timing. You, you're the master of the subtle head shake as you just described. (laughs) Was that something you had to sort of learn? Uh, you know, were there earlier seasons where you were like going a little bit overboard and making goofy faces and you learn, Hey, that's not quite as good as just being real. How, How did that all come about? Or is it just natural? Well, I mean, look, there was no real new lesson to learn. Um, It was just a question of degree. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to, you always want to be in on the joke. If there's a joke, you know, it's mugging to the camera is one thing, but if it feels like you were trying to set it up or something, well, that kind of sucks. Right, right. Um, But no, I, I learned really everything I think I needed to know about making television back in 1990 when I was working at QVC and, and selling inexplicable items in the middle of the night uh, to an audience of codependent inebriates and lonely hearts. You, know? I mean, you, you, you figure out pretty quickly who your audience is, or right. at least who you think they are. Right, right. 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 And once you get that shorthand, it's, it, it, it's a lot like writing, actually. Mm. You, know, you, you know who your readers are. Um, Stephen King refers to them as a constant reader. Right. So his his novels are all different, but there there's something in each of them that makes me think he always knows exactly who he's writing for. Right. And, you know, the people I enjoy on TV the most are are people who really aren't trying to amuse me so much as they are trying to keep themselves entertained. Right. Right. And, right. right. So like watching that, watching a good comedian um, for me almost always comes down to you know, that guy's trying to amuse himself. And, you know, if I'm watching and enjoying it, well, good for me, but he doesn't really care too much. <laughs> yeah, right. And so exactly. I tried to get some of that yeah. into, uh, into the show. Well, you, you've done a, you've done a fine job, Mike. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Support to have gold. <laughs> so you, you mentioned psychology uh, a little bit back there. And so I'm wondering if you, you're a learned man and, if you could talk about the psychology of revulsion a little bit, because because I have a dog, the dog mm-hmm. goes in the backyard and does his thing, and I scoop it up with a little plastic baggie, and that's that. But if he has a doggy play date, and the other dog takes a dump in my backyard, I'm Disgusting. like gagging as I'm picking this up. Uh, like right. what what's going on there? Yeah, so. I think if I were to really try and unpack all of that, there's some kind of inverse shame (laughs) algorithm going on. (laughs) Like we know in the reptilian part of our brain that we, all of us, are that other dog and that we are disgusting and that our (laughs) crap is disgusting. And, 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 And we know that. We're the only ones who, you know, can smell our own parts and go, Oh, you know, that's not so bad. Or, <laughs> no, that's bad, but that's mine. And I did that. And that that's so bad, it's good, right? But right. but deep down, we know we're just a bag of bones and full of holes, all of which leak, and some of which 
get out of our control and this business of multiple sphincters uh, failing. <laughs> and, you know, it all comes down in so many cases to an O-ring, you know. Right. <laughs> a, a faulty O-ring is just this, this tiny little bit of tissue between dignity, remorse, and humiliation. And so I think the business of picking up our own dog's crap is an extension of dealing with our own crap. And we're okay with that. Yeah. But the minute we see some invader, right, <laughs> some alien crap, we're we're subliminally reminded that that's us as well. And so we we hate that thing. We hate that turd. We love our turd. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah. I'm gonna. Uh, you gave me a lot to think about. It. And the next <laughs> time I feel the warm uh, warmth uh, through that that thin plastic bag uh, mm. for, of. Vinny across the street, uh, I'm going to I'm going to think of you, Mike. I'll give you a moment regarding dog crap that I think your listeners might enjoy or possibly relate to. Please. I have a I have a terrier and I used to live in the city in San Francisco and I, I and I'd walk this dog around and he for whatever reason, if he saw a, you know, dogs not welcome or don't pee here sign, mm -hmm. I think he can read, right? Cuz he <laughs> runs right over and he pisses all over it. And and if he has to take a dump, he will wait until he's right in front of somebody's doorstep <laughs> or right right in front of somebody's driveway. And ideally, he, he likes an audience. So he'll wait until people are looking at him, and then he'll quickly stop, and he'll drop a deuce right in front of somebody's doorstep. So I've learned this about the little bastard, you know, and, I, and so I, I have this... <laughs> I've got this plastic bag in my hand, and I got my hand in it, right? So, I mean, I'm, I'm ready for action. Yeah. And the dog does a quick spin, drops right in front of the door jam. There are half a dozen people looking at me. And to my shame, I reach down and I put my hand inside of the bag right under his ass. And I caught the turd before <laughs> it hit the ground because I didn't. Because, you, you know, you got a dog. If you pick up the dog crap in the street or on the sidewalk, yeah. all you get is a smear right. and a terrible, a terrible skid mark. So I... So I catch the turd in midair, and I'm and, and I'm feeling it's a weird mix of hey man that was a good grab nicely done Mike to dude you're a grown man catching dog crap in midair combined with this group of six people across the street walk over and they've got their cell phones out oh and they're God. filming this and they're like excuse me but are you Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs and I'm like take a wild guess. So, Oh so, yeah, God. I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to pick up your dog's crap. It's another thing to be filmed catching it in midair from his anus. <laughs> and uh, until that happens, Dan, I, I'm not sure we should go much further. Yeah, yeah. How did that not become the viral hit of, of the universe? That's, uh, that's, that's amazing. I mean, we, we see people catch a foul ball while they're, they're holding their baby, but that, that's nothing on that. Damn. Well, I'll, I mean, honestly, had I filmed it or someone I knew filmed it, I probably would have put it out there yeah, just yeah. because it seems shareable. But I think these people realized, you know what? We didn't really have his permission. And it is kind of <laughs> weird to film a dude catching his dog's crap in midair. Maybe we should just go ahead and delete it. Yeah. <laughs> that That's beautiful. Wow. Well, that's humanity at its best. What, what can you say? <laughs> More coming up from our guests. But first, a word from our sponsor. If this year has taught us anything, it's that tomorrow may not look like today. But Schwab knows that successful financial planning can help propel net worth by 2.7 times. 
That's why Schwab offers a variety of easy, flexible financial planning options that can rise to meet any of life's many curveballs. Whether it's making a complimentary retirement plan online or chatting directly with a financial consultant, anyone can look forward to planning with Schwab. Learn more at schwab.com plan. And our next sponsor. We all want to know that we have enough to get to where we want to go. For instance, you either have enough energy to run a marathon or you're on the side of the road wheezing. How about your startup? Does it have enough cloud computing power to win and handle the really big customers? You might think stable, enterprise-ready cloud infrastructure like Oracle's is out of reach for your new company, but Oracle for Startups was made just for you. Oracle wants to help you land those big customers, so they're offering preferred pricing on enterprise cloud for startups. That's free cloud credits and 70% off their cloud services. And as an Oracle for Startups partner, you can tap into more than 40 years of experience for guidance as you grow. Oracle for Startups doesn't want you wheezing on the side of the road. They want you to have enough power to scale and land your dream customer. Visit oracle.com slash real job. That's oracle.com slash real job. And we're back. So you've got, besides this show, you've got this scam going on, MicroWorks <laughs> Foundation. What <laughs> You're bilking people out of millions of dollars. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, every year I bilk them out of about a million, and then I give it away because yeah. I, didn't, I, I didn't fully understand the art of the scam. I've only got the bilking part. I screwed up on the keeping part. Yeah, yeah that's the important part of crime. <laughs> no, this is the... This is the terribly uh, boring and earnest part of me. I um, was just chugging along with dirty jobs in 2008 when the economy went off the rails, and I had a number one show, and I was doing pretty great, and many of the industries featured on the show were struggling to recruit. And it just seemed an interesting time, you know, with unemployment so high, to have a couple million open positions, uh, many of which didn't require a, a college degree but took place in these dirty jobs type industries, for lack of a better word. So I started this foundation whose purpose primarily was just to shine a light on opportunities that existed that didn't get a lot of love. And that morphed over the years into a trade resource center. And as the skills gap widened, um, more and more people asked me why I was doing this and what my thoughts were on, uh, on the mismatch of skills mm. and this weird counter-narrative regarding unemployment, right? People tend to think that unemployment is a function of too few jobs, but it's a bit more complicated than that. And you don't have to be an economist today to look around and see 11 million open positions um, with a lot of people sitting on the sidelines, either right. unwilling or unable or disinterested in the work. So long story short, MicroWorks is still around. We're, we're in our 13th year. We've turned into a, a scholarship fund primarily. And each year I raise money and uh, give it away in the form of work ethic scholarships to kids who want to learn a skill that doesn't require a four-year degree. Welding, steam fitting, pipe fitting, electric, you know, the basic construction trades and some other things as well. But that's, um, that's what we do. And, you know, the, the fundraisers have become increasingly bizarre and, and non-traditional, but 
we've raised a lot of money, about six million bucks so far. And um, like I said, we give away a million a year, and um, I get to check the bloody do-gooder box in me. <laughs> That's right. And um, <laughs> you know, and then crawl back in the sewer. <laughs> well, it's I mean, it's 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 an amazing thing. It's it's very cool. I, I've had the opportunity to to see you at some of these kinds of events. I follow you everywhere, Mike. I don't know if you're aware. No, of that. well, it's not weird at all. No, right? no, it's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's just an amazing thing that you do, and uh, it's just it's very cool to see the look on the faces of the of these kids who are who are on the receiving end of these scholarships, and mm-hmm. just just a good. You're a good guy, Mike. You know what? I'm okay. I think you know most people. You know, given enough time, if they have some good fortune and some success and any conscience at all, they'll be afflicted in some way and they'll want to do something, you know, something to give back. Or, um, in my case, I mean, I have a weird business, you know, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, I do a lot of different things and, and speaking perfectly selfishly and honestly about it, I realized early on that I didn't, I couldn't just be the guy who went out there and told stories about catching his dog's poop in midair or, or, you know, species from every species and all these other things that are dirty jobs related. Right. It had, there had to be something, there had to be a point to it. And initially that point was, you know, the whole, the whole show was a tribute to my granddad. Mm. But then I thought, I think there can be an even bigger point. And, um, and that's what this is. And that honestly is why the show is coming back after, after 10 years being out of production. It gives me permission really to, to talk about the foundation with people like you and to, you know, it's impossible to promote dirty jobs without promoting how America works on Fox business and micro works, you know, my foundation and somebody has got to do it, which is also out there in production. So, you know, thinking like an entrepreneur, which I assume is still of some interest to your audience, it, it, there was a mercenary position in a missionary play, right? I mean, I think there's a missionary and a mercenary position in just about everything. Right. And, um, both those positions are uh, underrated. FYI. That's uh well, it's it, it's it's such a cool thing, and you uh, you've you've found such uh, an entertaining way to 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 bring this mission to the forefront, even when it's not on the show. As I said, I've been at uh, a couple of these events, and it's always like a lot of fun, and you 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 never get. You get serious, but not too serious, and uh, it's it's just a great thing that you're doing. So, uh, on behalf of people like me, who you know require a plumber every once in a while, uh, you know it's uh, it's great that you're you're keeping that stuff uh, alive. And so, this show, this dirty jobs of yours, the 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 resurrection. Uh, again, it uh, begins on Sunday, January second at eight p.m. on Discovery. And you've got all the past seasons streaming on Discovery Plus. Um, and, you know, I, I hear your voice a lot. I've got the TV on in the background. Sometimes it's on the Science Channel, and you're telling me about black holes in the background. Mike Rowe, you're everywhere. Yeah, I'm like stepping in gum, you know. <laughs> like, once I get on you, I, 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 I cling. But, <laughs> but, you know, look, I mean, it's, it's important for my own sanity not to have too many days one after the next that are too similar to the one that preceded it. Yeah. And so 
look, it's a, it's, it's a huge privilege to be able to sit down on Thursday to tell you about black holes and singularity and novas and quasars, and then on Friday to crawl through a sewer and make some more poop jokes, and then on Saturday to record my podcast, and then on Sunday, you know, try and make a deadline for Simon and Schuster, who's up my ass again for another book. And right, so you get you're you're always at it, you're always chiseling away at something, and you know, to have the foundation in the middle of all of that, I think it keeps me from becoming a, you know, completely rapacious capitalist. <laughs> well, well, Mike, I, I don't want to hold you. I know you're in a very luxurious setting right now, <laughs> and I don't want... Mike is calling in from one of the most glamorous hotels in the world, I, I assume. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the the elevator sometimes doesn't work, but and there's no mini bar. But but besides that, it's it's a palace. So uh, you know what? I mean, look that's 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 worth a quick rumination because I think metaphorically it is a sign of the times. The network put me in a great hotel because I'm out here flogging their show for them. But on this on this day alone, there's no coffee maker in the room. There's no mini bar in the room. The elevators went out. I'm on the 18th floor. I literally climbed 18 floors to talk to you, Dan. Okay. Oh, my God. Room service isn't happening. The bar's overrun, and they won't let you take a drink out. So I'm really thinking, you know, all things being equal, I'd have been better off in the Holiday Inn Express. Right. <laughs> well, I should. I mean, I, I should stay in my lane. I should know better. I'm yeah, a super yeah, kind yeah. of guy. So, I'm, I'm punching above my weight here. You know, you're flying too close to the sun. You're chasing waterfalls and all these kinds of things. Well, uh, <laughs> Icarus, you just hit me with Icarus. What a great way to end this. Yeah, I flew yeah. too close to the sun. Awesome. <laughs> By walking up 18 flights of stairs. Well, I appreciate that greatly, and I always love talking to you. So, and uh, America appreciates your entertainment and the MicroWorks uh, Micro Works Foundation, what you're doing. So, great talking to you, my friend. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right. Talk to you again soon, I hope. You bet. All right. Take care. Thanks. That's our episode, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Get a Real Job comes out every Tuesday. So be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you harvest your favorite podcasts. Leave us a review. Give us a share. Don't make me beg people. Go to entrepreneur.com for new episodes of this and to listen to our other great podcasts. Thanks.